But uh, good time was had by all. Thank you for your prayers. Uh, next time, pray specifically uh, <laughs> for my GPS system. So, all right, let's open our Bibles this morning to Joshua chapter 5. We're going to finish chapter 5 and look at verses 10 through 15. That will be our text. The topic, Joshua encounters Jesus and takes off his sandal on holy ground. The title of our message, Put Your Bare Foot Forward. Verse 10. Do you know how discouraging that is when you moan like that? It's almost, almost as discouraging as the reaction I got from the joke I told in Lancaster, which I'm not going to tell you because I'm already sad enough. Do you want to hear it? All right. Um, so I don't really have... All right, so I get there, right? And, 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 and I, I get up and I say, you know, I'm so happy to be here. And I'm really happy because I, I didn't think I was going to make it because earlier this week I was the victim of an assault. I was there at my house, knock on the door. I opened the door and there was a six-foot cockroach at the door. Stunned, I didn't know what to do. He punched me in the nose and ran off. Next night, I'm at home again. Same cockroach. Punches me in the face, kicks me in the gut, runs off. You'd think I would learn, but the third night, knock on the door, punched in the nose, kicked in the gut, and then he knifes me in the side. I crawl to the phone, get the uh, 911 going. Finally, the ambulance comes out. Sean Glenn comes and gets me. And uh, they throw me in the ambulance, get me down to the hospital after the train. You know, well, anyway, I'm embellishing now. But anyway, I get to the hospital. And they save my life. The next morning, Dr. Cobley comes in. He says, man, what happened to you? And I said, I explained it to him. And he goes, you know, there's a nasty bug going around. Laugh trap. I'm taking you guys next time. So there was like this hushed pause. And then there was like one or two guys go, ah, I thought, wow, what a tough crowd. I mean, you just ate steak and, you know, beans and all kinds of stuff. Maybe it was the macaroni salad that had been out all day. I don't know, but rough crowd. So I put, I put some big Bible hurt on them. But uh, anyway, <laughs> you can do that when you're out of town. Joshua chapter 5, verse 10. Have we started this yet? Is this, where are we? Okay, here we go. Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. And they ate of the produce of the land on the day after the Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. Then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land. And the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And so he said, no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandal off your foot for the place where you stand is holy, and Joshua did so. Let's pray together. Lord, we're so grateful to be here this morning. We thank you that you have uh, invited us to this place, uh, and we uh, anticipate a good a meeting with you where you reveal to us how great your love is for us. 
how broad and how deep, how mighty and powerful. Whether we are being blessed right now or whether we're being buffeted, whether we're abounding or being abased, Lord, may we draw into it with you and may your presence be sufficient for us and your grace uh, sufficient as well. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. In the big screen version of How the Grinch Stole Christmas, Cindy Lou Who invites the Grinch to Whoville. There's a hilarious monologue as the Grinch reviews his busy calendar. He says, uh, I won't do the voice because I'm not good at it, but he says this, the nerve of those Who's inviting me down there and on such short notice, even if I wanted to go, my schedule wouldn't allow it. Four o'clock, wallow in self-pity. 4.30, stare into the abyss. 5 o'clock, solve world hunger, tell no one. 5.30, jazzercise. 6.30, dinner with me. I can't cancel that again. 7 o'clock, wrestle with my self-loathing. I'm booked. Of course, if I bump the loathing to 9 o'clock, I could still be done in time to lay in bed, stare at the ceiling, and slip slowly into madness. But what would I wear? Now, it's meant to be funny. But the items on his calendar reveal a great deal about what the Grinch really valued. We might each of us want to take a look at our schedules. It will give us an idea of what we really value. Before we do, we might want to take a peek at Joshua's busy schedule. On the verge of arguably the most important battle of his military career, Joshua nevertheless had a full calendar of prior spiritual engagements. He celebrated Passover at twilight on the 14th day of the month. He celebrated the Feast of Unleavened Bread for seven days following Passover, and he kept an appointment that had been made for him with the commander of the army of the Lord. Only after these spiritual activities and appointments was he battle-ready for Jericho. Too many believers are battle-weary rather than battle-ready. Perhaps we should rearrange our busy schedules to accommodate more spiritual activities and appointments. I'll organize my thoughts around two points. Number one, don't go into battle before getting back to basics. And number two, don't go into battle without getting down to bowing. And so in verses 10 through 12, don't go into battle before getting back to basics. Forty years earlier, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. God sent 10 plagues upon the Egyptians to convince Pharaoh to release them. The 10th plague was the killing of the firstborn sons. The Israelites were instructed to mark the doorposts of their homes with the blood of a sacrificed lamb. And upon seeing this, the death angel passed over these homes, hence the term Passover. The Israelites celebrated Passover once more at Mount Sinai, but not again during their wilderness wanderings. God suspended the celebration until all that generation that disobeyed him was dead. Now that his people were obediently walking in the land and seeing it was the 14th day of the first month, it was time to reinstitute the Passover. And so beginning again in verse 10, now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. Days and dates were extremely important to Israel. They were a calendar-oriented people. They had several set annual feasts, they had weekly Sabbaths, and they had daily sacrifices. And so daily, weekly, and in a sense, monthly and annually, they followed a very exacting calendar. 
As Christians living after the resurrection of Jesus, we're told to not let anyone judge us in the matter of days and dates. There's a section there in Colossians chapter 2 where Paul the Apostle summarizes a lot of what he Uh, What we see in the book of Acts, that as a Christian living uh, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, no one should judge me. If I want to keep the Sabbath, I can. If I don't, I don't have to. Every day is a Sabbath anyway. Uh, If I want to keep certain feasts and festivals, I can, but I don't have to. Uh, And so we're not bound to a religious or a spiritual calendar. We don't even have to meet on Sunday. Uh, Now, the early church met on Sunday on the first day of the week. Uh, For a couple of reasons. One, they could commemorate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But secondly, it was really the only day that the slaves had off. And and it was the only time, usually Sunday night, that they could meet. And and so we're not restricted to that. Uh, We have our own cultural preferences, but we're not to keep days and dates. And that's because it's all been fulfilled by Jesus. And we now enjoy an immediate and intimate relationship with him. Concerning the Passover, Jesus ended Passover and gave us the Lord's Supper. Uh, and, and the New Testament says Christ is our Passover. And so we enjoy Passover, as it were, all the time. Not even It's not just when we celebrate communion that we've replaced Passover. I mean, the idea is that we have entered fully into all of the blessings that these dates were only a shadow of. And so we don't have to wait once a year to uh, enjoy this kind of fellowship or once a month or once a week. We are to be walking with the Lord all the time. Because we are not required to keep days or dates, we often see our calendars get filled up with things that actually keep us away from the immediacy and intimacy we have with the Lord. I mean, if you've got a calendar and you see on there, ooh, Sabbath, oh, Passover, Oh, unleavened bread. I can't schedule anything during those times. I mean, because these are serious days. There's a sense if I don't, if every day I'm just walking with the Lord and seeing that fulfillment, if I'm not careful, I can schedule my time in such a way that I'm really not doing anything with the Lord. The other things may be good, but, uh, and they may even be necessary. They are, but they should not crowd out the things of the Lord. Uh, Verse 11 says, They ate of the produce of the land on the day after the Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. When Pharaoh freed the Israelites, they left in such a hurry that they could not wait for their bread to rise. In commemoration of their hasty deliverance, for the week after Passover, no leavened bread is eaten, and it is called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Then in verse 12, then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land and the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. I love it. Manna means what is it? That, that's the literal translation of manna. It's the name given by the Israelites to the food miraculously supplied to them during their wanderings in the wilderness. It is described, and these are phrases from the Bible, as a small round thing like the hoar frost on the ground. By the way, did you know there's different types of frost? Uh, I didn't know that. There, there's, and I thought, what is hoar frost? It has something to do with, raid, you know, the, I don't even know. But there's several different ways that frost can form, and they all have a different name. I'm glad to know that. Uh, 
hoarfrost on the ground and like coriander seed of the color of bedelium, probably your house is painted bedelium, and in taste like wafers made with honey. You should go to Home Depot and tell them you want, you're thinking of bedelium for your house and see if they have that. It was capable of being baked, boiled, ground in mills, beaten in a mortar. It must be gathered daily. If any was kept over till the following morning, it became corrupt with worms. On the Sabbath, none fell, but on the preceding day, a double portion was given, and that could be kept over to supply the needs on the Sabbath without becoming corrupt. Manna fell for the first time as a judgment for the grumblings of the previous generation when they longed for the foods of Egypt. Manna was great. Daily provision, lots of lessons, uh, you know, it was right there. God provided it, you know, and, and he used it. But it was a judgment for the grumblings of the previous generations because they longed for the foods of Egypt. They said to Moses, why did you bring us out here? Oh, for the leeks and the garlic. Now, the garlic part I can understand. Uh, I mean, don't you just love garlic? Anything is better with garlic. The place, so, I mean, I just, I just, you know, if it was up to me, I, I, I would figure out a way to waft uh, stuff over here from Gilroy. It, you know, basic used to that. You could smell it that one time a year. I just drive back and forth on the freeway near the, near the garlic plant, you know, and stuff. I love garlic. I actually smell like garlic most of the time, but that's a whole nother thing. So anyway, say so they long for these foods of Egypt. And so God says, you know, I'm just going to give you manna every day, day and night uh, for 40 years. So the ceasing of the manna marks the moving from a place of discipline to a new way of life or to a, a time of maturity, really. And so eating of the produce was like an infant moving from milk to solid foods. Forty years earlier, the Israelites were supposed to cross the Jordan. They were supposed to keep the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They were supposed to eat the fruit of the land and they were supposed to conquer their enemies. It was basic Judaism is what God had in mind for them. Now their children, that next generation, were getting back to basics. If we are not careful, we don't have time for basic Christianity. We tend to eliminate our devotions, whether they're in the morning or the evening, uh, prayer and Bible reading. I mean, those are kind of the three-legged stool of the Christian life, as it were. Devotions with prayer and Bible reading. Uh, we want to attend church more often, but we find it to be a struggle because we have such full calendars. And I'm not even suggesting that our calendars are full with terrible activities. There, you know, if, if, if we looked at each other's calendar, we might say, oh, those are all good things, necessary things. What's this thing here? Job. Oh, I, I, oh, yeah, that's right. I have to do that. I mean, so it's, you know, it's not really meant to be a rebuke. It's only an observation. Because when we have freedom, oftentimes we, in a sense, abuse our freedoms or we take our freedoms for granted. Because I don't have to meet with God, I don't always meet with God. It's one of those things that go. And I think, well, I have to do this. I'm going to have to bump something I would rather. And I would hope that all of us would rather be meeting with God, studying his word, praying, going to church. And so I understand, you know, we live in a modern, advanced, busy society. Uh, so it's only an observation, really. 
But I know that when I slack off in the basic things, all other things I'm busy doing suffer. They lack spiritual quality and they lose spiritual impact. And I begin kind of, you know, I get into kind of a personal doldrum where I'm going through the motions of my life, doing all of these activities, some necessary, maybe some unnecessary, but they don't have any power. They don't have any value anymore because I'm not doing first things first. And so look at your calendar. In a sense, it is a list of what you value. We should, I was going to say pencil in, but I change it to ink in. We should ink in more of the things of the Lord. Everything else you are doing, whether it is essential or elective, will be enhanced the more you maintain a spiritual calendar. In verses 13 through 15, don't go into battle before getting down to bowing. We next see Joshua by himself looking out over Jericho. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho. Stop there for just a moment. Uh, if you read Bible commentaries, and you really should, uh, one thing I would recommend just since we're on the topic, uh, when we go through a book of the Bible, you might want to pop over to the bookstore and buy the little one-volume commentary by uh, Pastor Warren Wearsby. He has a one-volume commentary for every book of the Bible, and uh, just really wonderful stuff in there. Easy reading, but not, uh, you know, doesn't mean it, it, it's not good. Uh, and, and, and you get some good commentary uh, from that, and it's a good supplement to your study. But uh, not so much Wearsby, but a lot of the other commentaries that you read, you'll read them and you'll see that they, they comment that Joshua was spying out Jericho to develop his military strategy when he ought to have been seeking the Lord. I submit to you that he was out seeking the Lord. I mean, what, who's to say that he wasn't? Just because he went to where he could see Jericho, uh, of course he was seeking the Lord. He just wasn't expecting an appearance from the Lord. The Lord did more than Joshua was expecting. And so in verse 13, it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? Joshua is a bold guy. He went in. We're, we're not told that, that Joshua had a sword or that he drew his sword. He sees this man with a drawn sword. He doesn't know if he's for him or against him. And he goes and engages him. The man was in military attire, sword drawn. He must be there to fight for or against Israel. Joshua was a black and white kind of guy. You were either for God and his people or you were against God and his people. Ally or enemy, there was no time for neutrality. There are many issues in the Christian life that are negotiable. Sometimes we get uh, caught up in negotiable items and, and we divide over them. You know, uh, styles of music and length of preaching and, you know, different things like that. I mean... It, those are stylistic things They're, you know, uh, that's why God has raised up many different churches to meet many different styles and preferences. 
And then we give up on some things that are non-negotiable, like the deity of Jesus Christ, His virgin birth, His physical resurrection and ascension into heaven, His return to earth. And we think, oh, well, you know, you know, maybe uh, they're Christians, they just don't believe in the deity of Christ. And so we, we need to be careful. Uh, there, there, in some areas, there is no time or place for neutrality. Uh, and in, when we're talking about eternal life and sharing with people, uh, it's Jesus. Uh, it's not Jesus or something else. Uh, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. In verse 14, so he said, no, stop there. No is not really an answer to the question. It was a whole new perspective on the upcoming warfare. Once Joshua understood this man was the Lord, he would understand that the battle was won before it had begun. It wasn't a matter of having God on your side so much as it was watching God work. Think of it this way. If I go around thinking God is for me, I have a tendency to submit my plans to him and expect him to accomplish them on my behalf. If things don't work out quite the way I think they should, then I start to wonder if God is against me. Instead, I should see the Lord in my every situation. The spiritual battle is already won. I then simply follow him through it to its end. It's the fellowship with God that is important not the warfare going on around me. God is always more interested in me than in anything else. I tend to focus on the outward success and accomplishment. God focuses on the inward. He focuses on my heart. So while God designs a situation within which I might grow in my understanding of his grace and mercy... I can be busy trying to pray my way out of it. And, and sometimes I catch myself, we all should catch ourselves. We're in a situation and our first reaction is to get out of it. And we're asking for prayer to get out of it. Uh, it you know, maybe it's a, a home situation or a school situation. Usually it's a job. People complaining about their jobs and their, their employees or their employer. And, you know, uh, you know, pray that I'd get another job. Pray that I'd get out of this situation. And in many times we need to step back and think, oh, no, this is a spiritual warfare. I don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It's not my boss. It's this a spiritual thing that's going on. And God probably went to great pains to design this situation for me so that he and I could have fellowship in the midst of it. And other people looking on could wonder what it is about me that is different why I'm not getting angry and depressed and stressed out and, and, and just, you know, why I'm not taking advantage of every break to, to you know, grab somebody and belittle the boss and, and talk about how horrible it is and, and all of those kinds of things. And so instead of enjoining God to deliver me from something I don't like, I should learn to enjoy his presence in it. Verse 14, so he said, no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped, and he said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? The fact he worshiped indicates that Joshua recognized he was in the presence of God. This person commanded worship, so we know it was not an angel. This is what scholars call a Christophany. It's an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. Notice how quickly Joshua relinquishes command to Jesus. No questions, no concerns. 
If only we could cast all our cares so quickly upon the Lord. You know, usually there's that point in your trial where you finally give up trying to carry the burden yourself. You realize that God's not going to just remove it from you and you start to sense that it's something you have to go through. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel, you're in the fiery furnace. God has chosen to let you be thrown in and, and you need to discover his presence in there uh, because you're, you're going through it. And, and, and so just the lesson, you know, just we should quickly relinquish command to Jesus and just serve him. Joshua worshiped and then he expected a word from the Lord. There is a preparation of the heart through worship that readies your heart. We cannot approach the Bible from a purely academic point of view. Yes, we must be scholarly and systematic in our study of the Bible. But only after and as we realize it is the revelation of the heart of God to those he loves. There's a sense in Christendom, in Christianity, that that you have to be one way or the other. You have to either be just really scholarly and academic, uh, which which sometimes leads to a... How can I put it? I, I, I don't want to be misunderstood, but it, it leads to an over-reverence for God. And you think, well, how could you overly reverence God? It leads to a distance between you and God, uh, where where you don't ever see God as your friend or as your lover or as a companion. He's always distant. You're always trying to please him. You don't even see him really as a father. It's more like he's a judge and you just need to know everything there is to know about him so that you walk a certain way and don't get out of line because if you do, he's going to hit you over the head with a board or something. And so there's a sense, and, and usually people who are drawn to intellectualism and academia, they kind of end up with God being a little bit more like that. Than, than he should. They, they have an extra reverence for God, which is really an extra biblical reverence for God. And then typically when we talk about romance or emotion or God being our lover and our friend, immediately we think, oh, you're, you're talking about some of those whacked out Pentecostal people. You know, you're talking about, you know, showing your, you know, wearing your heart on your sleeve and all that. Uh, you know, it, it's, we have such a hard time being a balanced people. And, and all I'm saying is that you, you know, obviously we, we have a high respect for the Bible and the teaching of the Word of God and then the, the, the uh, accuracy of that teaching and all. But it's to bring us into relation with God through Jesus Christ. It's to reveal the heart of God to us. And, and both of those need to be working together. Think of it like a date with the person you love. The main goal is to spend time with that person, getting to know them better and revealing more of yourself to them. But there's usually a context within which you share together. You go to a dinner, you go to a movie, you go to an activity. The things you put on your spiritual calendar are dates with Jesus within the context of devotions and Bible study and church activities. And so they both work together. You want to spend time with the Lord. It, just like you want to spend time with somebody that you love. 
And um, there are times you say, hey, let's, let's go. Let's go see this movie. Let's go out on a date. Let's go, to the, go have dinner. And you have this experience within the context of that love. And, and that's really the attitude that I think we should have when we come together with the Lord in our devotions or whenever I'm reading the Bible for myself, when I gather at church. Me and the Lord are on a date together. And, and I'm going to learn something about him. I'm going to grow in my relationship with him uh, academically, intellectually, from a scholarly standpoint. But we're also going to be able to talk about it on a very intimate, personal level. My heart's going to be touched. Uh, I'm going to realize at some point that God loves me. He's forgiven me my sin, even the sins I committed this morning on my way to church. And, and, and there's, he peels away layer after layer of my life. You're like an onion. I didn't think you'd like that either, but you just keep peeling it away and peeling it away until, you know, things that you didn't even recognize were, you know, and you think, oh, Lord, I see that root of bitterness. I see that unforgiveness. I see that, uh, you know, resentment. Thank you, Lord, for showing me that because I don't want to be that kind of... I want, to be a, I want to be like you, Lord. And when we spend time together, I want you to rub off on me. Uh, and, and so I study, Lord, to make sure what I believe is accurate and, and to know what you want to tell me. And then I bring that into my personal relationship with you. Verse 15, Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did it. For a warrior in a desert battle, the sandal was a crucial piece of equipment. By removing it, Joshua was acknowledging he was first a worshiper, then a warrior. Battle weariness afflicts those who see themselves as warriors first. If you see yourself as a worshiper, you will remain battle ready, knowing that the conflict is over before it ever begins. God has already won. You simply worship him in it and through it, experiencing his presence in ever-deepening ways. We are not to concentrate on our battles or on our enemies. It's what we have a natural tendency to do, and it's why we are often defeated. Instead, we are to do what Joshua did, lift and look. He lifted his eyes away from the battle. He looked to see the Lord. In Joshua's case, the Lord physically appeared. We're at a much greater advantage than Joshua. When he departed the earth, the Lord told us it was good that he did so because he would give us another comforter like himself who would dwell within us. He was speaking of God, the Holy Spirit, who, when you are born again, takes residence in your heart. We do not need a physical manifestation of Jesus because we have his constant presence in our lives. In fact, you know, Christians who, who, who think they have to have some physical manifestation are moving really, I think, in the wrong direction. They're moving towards a, a more immature Christianity because the Lord said to Thomas, he said, you know, blessed are you because you've seen and you believed how much more blessed are those who have not seen and believe. Well, I want to be more blessed and, and I want to remember that I have the Holy Spirit living within me. I don't need to see Jesus. It wouldn't, in one sense, how obviously be glorious, but it shouldn't enhance my belief because I already have the Spirit of the living God living within me. Having trouble at work? If not, you will. And every place else from time to time. Your life is the battleground. When the attack comes, you have a choice. You can meet it as a warrior asking the Lord to be on your side 
or you can meet it as a worshiper. You can enjoy the Lord's presence as he takes you through it. Every war is a ground war for the Christian, but the ground is holy if you will bow down upon it. Let's pray. Father, thanks for these things. I I pray that as we've read your word and uh, made some comments on it, Lord, that some of those things would uh, hit home, that your Holy Spirit would take them and, and manifest them to my heart and to the hearts of my brothers and sisters here. If there's anyone here who's not a believer, Lord, that they would see how much you love them and how merciful you are towards them and seeking to draw them to a saving relationship in you. Lord, we want to, uh, we wish we could clear our calendars and pencil in the things that we really want to do. And and, uh, Lord, starting every day or ending every day with devotions and going to church as often as we can and fellowshipping with the saints and going to prayer meetings, studying our Bible, all of those things, Lord. We all recognize, however, that there are constraints. We live in a fallen world. Uh, We we literally don't have time for all of those things. But I pray, Lord, that we would nevertheless reflect upon the things we are doing. Make changes, Lord, that are consistent with what we truly value. So that if we are to look at our calendars, they would reflect the value of an intimate, immediate relationship with the living God. Thank you, Jesus. We praise you. Amen. Let's stand together. Uh, Grab a burrito on your way, either here or to go. They're delicious. Uh, Wednesday morning, the men will be together in the cafe for our morning time of fellowship, 6.30 to 7.15. Wednesday night at our regular Ignite service. Uh, As Gino said, even if you don't normally attend, communion sweet time bring your kids out bring the whole family out and join us in that time of communion Um, god loves us so much he's provided so much for us Uh, we we should be ever grateful and uh, really you know all of us you know you have whether you have a pda or it's on your phone or your computer we all have calendars and and it it really wouldn't hurt as a spiritual exercise to take a look at your calendar and and from an objective point of view say now if i didn't know anything about myself and i just read my calendar what is the uh you know what perspective would a person have and uh and you know again only as an observation not as a condemnation because i know in my own life i want to be with the lord more and i believe that's true of you as well Uh, It's possible for us to do that. One thing I found out about timing is that when I do the things that the Lord desires that I do and meet with him when and where I should, I find that I have lots and lots of time for other things that I didn't think I had time for. Uh, There's something crazy that happens with timing. Uh, And so put first things first and uh, may the ground you're on be holy ground. Amen.